Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound. Oh! Yeah, there you go. Stand up. Stand up and yell in my face. Never say die. Say it. Never say die. Never say die. Never say die. Never say die. What is this for, by the way? <laughs> I didn't actually. I don't actually know. That's a great question. What is this for, David? So we do a radio show called Madcap. Yeah, we're rolling now. Yeah, we're always rolling. That's part of the fun of the show. Is that you don't you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> Where am I? What radio station am I on? You're on the internet. You're on MadcapDC.org and on the great SoundCloud, which has benefited us all to great effect. <laughs> what good. The Warmth of the Sun, a classic by the legendary Beach Boys. Today we're going to speak with a purveyor of equally soothing music. What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm told we'll be doing the exact opposite of that in this episode. Instead, we're going to speak with a man who fills the world with hard, filthy, wicked beats. Schism. Tommy Dash, or Schism, as he's known on stage, is the co-founder of Never Say Die, a well-respected bass music label run out of the UK. It's home to such artists as Dodge and Fusky, Zomboy, and Eptic, and they've released music by the likes of Flux Pavilion, Excision, and Sonny Moore, better known to the world as Skrillex, who name-checked the label in his 2012 Grammy acceptance speech. There's, there's labels out there have been doing what we've been doing for a long time, like Dub Police and Never Say Die 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 and Never Say This is Still Getting It by Foreign Beggars, featuring Skrillex released on Never Say Die in 2011. We caught up with Schism ahead of his concert at Baltimore Soundstage, and joining this once-in-a-lifetime conversation were a few other bass music luminaries. And now we'll have everyone in the room, including us, introduce ourselves. David Ross. This is Daniel Bloom. 
Tommy Schism. Sam from Kilobits. Paul from Mantis. Where did you get the inspiration to start Never Say Die? Does the name come from the New Zealand comedy Never Say Die, or does it have to do with the metal band Never Say Die? It's got nothing to do with either of those things, David. <laughs> I did like that interjection though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for the interjection, but new. When I was looking for a name, I was on the phone to my business partner and we were like, right, we need a name. And I opened my drawer in my, in my bedroom and the first thing that was in there was a Goonies t-shirt that said, never say die on it. Maybe Chunk is dead. Don't say that, never say that. Goonies never say die. When I sat down and thought about it and I was like, do I really want to call it this? Like it, it made sense to me because I was in a I was in a music scene that was kind of like you know, dying out really and was kind of like coming to the end of an era. And I, I refused to go down with that ship and kind of what you know, I believe in adapting to survive. And it's just it's a way of life, you know, like never say die attitude is like how we approach a lot of things, you know, we just go for it, you know, we just like put our money where our mouth is and fucking Get your balls on the table and just fucking go for it. I like that sentiment, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I think it, uh, like, it, it, it just says something, and it's, it's, it's a vibe. So that's where that came from. Going along with that vibe, your artwork fits in perfectly. It's all extremely brutal and extremely creative. Where does it come from? Uh, the artwork's done by an old friend of mine um, who we and he's quite like he's like a genius, and he's in like all geniuses, he's kind of unpredictable and a little bit unreliable. And we sort of we didn't know we didn't know what was going to come back for the first release until like the day before we had to have the artwork in, and we were just like sitting there with our fingers crossed. And we said to him, you know, like we don't want it too dark, but we want some kind of like death, life death reference in there. And he came back with just this awesome skull-based thing with the central image and the triangles, and and we expanded on that. And 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 so many people have tried to rip off our artwork style. It is actually ridiculous. Like you go through Beatport and you see all these things that look like our releases. So, um, but we're really chuffed with it, and it's something that like loads of people always comment on when they talk about the label. And I think it's important in, in branding a label and branding artists to have like a strong image, and that that's ours. In 2012, Schism rolled out a four-part set of EPs that he called the Division series. The first song of Division Series Part 1 is this one, Killer, featuring DC Brakes on co-production duties and D Freer on vocals. You're looking curious, don't touch your gun, I'm serious. 
Dan from DC Breaks and I go way back. We used to actually produce drum and bass together like years and years ago under like Dash and Samurai and then through the through the, through my breakbeat years like we also did stuff together and we've always worked together in some capacity and he sent me a, a rough idea that he wanted to do and it kind of sounded a bit like my style of track anyway and started fiddling around with it and honestly like it it changed shape so many times that like it, it we thought it was never going to get finished and then we got D in to do the vocal and that that kind of reignited the kind of the inspiration and then um, I kind of wanted to like take a little bit of a step back into sort of my, my dubstep career and I basically wanted to make a track like my tune Elixir again so we kind of like I took you know I took a lot of the kind of sort of ideas and sounds from that track and kind of you know it was like a new version of that with with, with a wicked vocal on it so yeah that was how that came about yeah and you're really good at working with vocals um, I noticed another one what was it the little virus syndicate that was a really big song for you and that also used vocals really well yeah that was that was a big that was a big track for me I, that one um, that was a weird one to work and I think that's the reason why Killer ended up working was because I kind of rewrote the song when once I got the vocal and that's what happened with um, Like This which was with Virus Syndicate like they sent me a track which had a vocal on it and I liked the vocal and I was like oh just give me the acapella and I'll try and write something and then I'll take off the acapella and then you can write a new vocal for it so I wrote the track around it and again that was another one that like I left for ages because I couldn't get it right and then finally when we were doing a Never Say Die album I was like right I didn't need to finish this and it came together really well. I think like remixing and building stuff around what's already there from somebody else is a strength. I've never actually written a track where someone's just sung a vocal over the top and then that's been it and it's been finished. It's just my a way of working, I guess. Yeah. Here's another track from the Division series. This one's from part three. It's called Experts. You know what the experts are telling you? this out. 
a lot of people don't actually realise that the word schism, spelt in the traditional way, S-C-H-I-S-M, means a divide or a dichotomy of ideas or, or any kind of split. So the EP was meant to kind of represent different tempos and genres and styles and uh, it just made sense and I, I like I like things that tell a story and have a concept and it just came naturally you know even just from my name and also fundamentally it kind of allowed me to let each track shine on its own because sometimes you can put an EP out and it can be forgotten just as quickly as, as a single It's almost like you're cutting a place in between a single and an EP. It's like you're creating a new type of release for yourself. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was an EP, essentially, but we just released it in stages. And then at the end of it, we released the whole thing with the remixes as one bundle, like if you didn't get some of them or you wanted to just buy the whole thing. Because a lot, we actually gave some of the tracks away for free as well, just because we like to do that at the label, because we believe it kind of reaches a market that may never buy music ever. So if they're not going to do that, then we still want them to hear it and we still want them to support us as artists and as a label. So yeah, you're right, it is kind of an EP, but each one was a single in its own. I don't know, it just, it was cool, it looked cool. <laughs> it did well for me. It did look cool. You know what the experts are telling you? Is the purpose in to turn those individuals who don't normally buy music into buyers of music? Is that... No. No, um, I, to be honest with you, I think that... What we found, and you know, it's maybe like insider secrets or trade secrets, I don't really care. Like, check this out. We, we identified two different markets as the people that would never buy music and probably have grown up never buying music. And then there's people that will always seek out music to buy. So, as an experiment, what we did at the label um, a long time ago is we were like, right, let's just like start giving away the biggest track on each release for free and see what happens. So, we give away the biggest track and it's still always the best selling track on the EP. So what that showed us was that like, those people that, that, that downloaded it for free, they were probably never ever gonna buy it. So the fact that they've got it, they've heard your name, they've come to your Facebook to get it, or like, you know, they've watched the YouTube video or whatever, like, they're probably gonna come to a show or buy a t-shirt. You can't download t-shirts, not yet anyway. And um, so, you know, it's kind of like, it's just, it's just catering for different sides. And some people, I think, you know, download tracks for free and then they actually go out and buy them again anyway because they genuinely want to support the artist. But we leave, it up to, we leave it up to you. We just want the music to be heard. This is Madcap, and we're speaking with Tommy Dash, a.k.a. Schism of Never Say Die Records. Also with us are Sam from The Kilobits and Paul from Mantis. Tommy Dash didn't always release music on his own label, Never Say Die, and he wasn't always a dubstep producer. Schism began his career in drum and bass, and later in breaks. This song is titled The Blank. A strange, disfigured man watches his every move. Wiki Lindos. This is a label you used to release on. All right. 
Yeah. Okay. Your song, The Blank, I listened to it today. It scared the shit out of me, man. <laughs> a shadow darkens the doorway. Moments later, five corpses lie sprawled across the floor. A man with cruel eyes surveys his grim work. He is the blank. That was um, the first dubstep tune that I put out and uh, I listened to it again the other day and it's, it's pretty basic but I guess at the time it was kind of loud. A split second later. Loud and quite gnarly and mixed down differently from every other dubstep tune because I wasn't a dubstep producer. Those tunes have a, a special place in my in my heart, I guess, because back then there was no. We were talking about it earlier. There was, there was only a few people doing like actually kind of like dark heavy dubstep, and namely like you know Excision and Datsik. They were just coming through at that time. In fact, Datsik was the reason why the Blank didn't get to number one on Beatport because he released a tune called Retreat at the same week. So like we were, you know, there was a few of us. It was like 16-bit who remixed that track, and then Rezo and Bar Nine and and those guys. And there were definitely more. I'm missing some names. I'm not going to like insult anyone by saying they weren't there at the beginning and shit. But at that point, no one was like copying each other, and there wasn't like a benchmark sound. From the shadows, a strange, disfigured man watches his every move. There's a lot of pressure now for your tunes to like sound a certain way and be a certain structure and like kind of follow the kind of formula that makes all these tunes so big. And and I, I, even I, I fall subject to that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's hard not to take notice of what other people are doing. But back then, it was really a blank canvas. <laughs> blank canvas. A split second later. I didn't know about dubstep. I was just feeling my way around it. And some of those tunes at the beginning were probably my most like inventive work because I really didn't know what I was doing. So I, I don't think that'll ever happen again, though. Uh, who runs Wikilindos? I don't even know if it's still going, but um, it's the same uh, person who used to be an old label manager of mine at uh, Breaks label that I was signed to. And he then went on to start up a label called Black Butter, who now are like killing it. They've had like UK number ones with Rudimental um, and stuff like that. So it's all old crew. <laughs> Ollywood, shout out to Ollywood.
Just want to get your thoughts about a couple important people and songs. Dodge and Fusky, how'd you meet them? What's their importance to the label? Uh, they were the first people that we signed exclusively to the, uh, to the label, so they were our first experiment, like management-wise and stuff. And they're, yeah, longest, longest residents apart from myself. I mean, your song, Rave Review, got to be my favorite that you put out yourself, and their, and their remix, ridiculous. I don't know which came first, shitty rave music or the drugs. I wonder if it was just these, these non-music fuckheads who were, you know, sitting in their house one day and they dipped around on the back and thought they go, listen, 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 Yeah, that was a just completely different take on the original. I think they did a really good job because I think it's actually quite a hard tune to remix. So, yeah, fantastic job. Really happy with that. I play it every set. Fuck, that's so Shouts out to them for also putting out the first Monty Python sample in yeah. EDM that I've heard, which I think was long overdue. Yeah, smashed it. Yeah, completely. Now for something completely different. feels a little bit like there's an arms race kind of going on with all these labels like putting out bass music like you guys circus mta i'd even put Ausla in there does it feel like that at all Nah, not 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 to us I, those guys everyone you just mentioned are like personal friends of me and of and we, we sort of we consider ourselves as peers and we talk to each other and com we communicate and we swap remixes you know like i remixed port robinson for the first release on owsler skrillex has been on never say die with the foreign beggars you know like we near I've, we've toured with nero like we support you know we there's so much work that can be done like i've been on circus with flux 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 is one of flux's biggest tunes cracks was on never say die We're all family, like if there's any way to work together, we will. We're all influenced by each other in different ways, but I certainly wouldn't say it was a race. And the cracks began to show. Again to show again to show.
I've been a DJ for like most of my adult life. So I, the, the thing that I have found though is like moving into like artist management and um, running the record label. Like I thoroughly enjoy that. And to be honest, like in some ways I enjoy it more than like working on my own music. I get a real kick out of developing other artists' careers and, you know, kind of helping them out and that kind of stuff. So, I, but I don't know if that would have come about if I hadn't have been in music in the first place. I've actually started really getting into accounting. I like spread. I like spreadsheets. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. Oh. Shout out to Microsoft Excel. Ow, ow, ow. Big up. <laughs> seriously, it's like a weird little thing. I kind of I actually spend more time like doing my accounts than I do making music at the moment. Damn, I kind of like that. Schism the accountant. <laughs> Filthifying everyone's life at by night and then like cleaning up the books by day. Can you sort me out? I got a real mess in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some books for me. Yeah, right. We just heard Schism extol the joys of managing the careers of other artists, one of whom is a past guest of this program. To my recollection, he was the second DJ we ever interviewed, Josh Melody, a.k.a. Zomboy. Here's a clip from that interview, where Josh talks about meeting Schism and signing for Never Say Die. The first song you'll hear is Pump It Up from his debut EP, Game Time. Within about a month of writing my first couple of songs, I had Tommy from Never Say Die, a.k.a. Schism, wanting to sign me to the Never Say Die family. And then um, a few months after that, I wrote my first EP. Amazing. And then the rest is uh, history. Tell us about being on Never Say Die. Uh, Th- these are, are serious cats. Yeah. Shout out to Nick. Yes, Shout out to Nick, Nick Never Say Die for my helping. Kiwi, my Ex- Kiwi homie. Exactly. Oh, my name's Nick from Never Say Die. <laughs> <laughs> If you've ever heard him, that's what he sounds like. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. He's from New Zealand. It's half it's, Yeah, he's a Kiwi. Schism, Dodge and Fusky, yep. their radio show, yep. the Never Say Die show. Oh, it's yeah. like the craziest thing <laughs> on the they're, internet. There's some wildcats there. We will never say die.com. Yeah. So what does it mean to you to be on this label, to be associated with these guys? It's like right now, now that I've seen the whole spectrum of the whole kind of electronic music scene, it's incredible to be part of such an amazing family. Because I had like all these different different other labels coming in, like trying to swoop in straight away and being like, oh, we want to sign you. But I was just like, I kind of held back. I was a bit more reserved. And then I did a bit more research. And then I found out about Never Say Die. And then sure enough, literally about a week after I'd done my research on them, I had Tommy actually coming to me asking to sign. Like he just found me via SoundCloud. He was just like, Shout and actually the, the co- weird coincidence was, a week after he'd sent that email, he was playing a show in my hometown, like back like where I came from. Yeah. So it was just which like, is perfect. Uh, it's Penzance. Corn- Penzance. Corn- Shout right. out. But no, he was actually playing in just like the town right next to it, which is Falmouth. So it was like perfect timing. He messaged me to saying this. And I was going, because at this point I was still living in London. But I was going back to visit um, my family back in Cornwall. And he was going down at the same time. So we linked up, like chatted it out, and then like signed there and then. I'm very privileged to have been able to get signed that quickly. lucky enough to speak with Josh Melody, Zomboy, and he was extremely happy to have met you and joined your squad. So talk about the process of finding him and how you find new young talent. 
how like everyone finds everything these days is you know the internet but like the, the Josh in Josh's case it was quite unusual because I don't spend a lot of time on SoundCloud really I'm very busy and I'm always touring and I've got so much other things to do I um, just happen to just stumble across this tune and it was you know it was a little bit rough around the edges it was clearly influenced by other stuff and it was like a mishmash of a load of ideas that had been done already and he'll be the first person to admit that but when I found out that he was he'd only been making electronic music for six weeks I was like wow okay like regardless of what this sounds like or like how oddly structured it is and how much I'm going to have to re-edit it to even try and play it in my set like you know this kid's got something and by a twist of fate like I happened to be DJing in like one of the worst venues I've ever DJed <laughs> in the world the week after which was uh, like the hometown of his girlfriend in Cornwall in England, which is like right at the other end of the country. So that like, I was like, oh, you know, I want to talk to you, I want to jack up a meeting. And then I just happened to be playing in this rugby club, <laughs> a rugby club like where, his, where he was visiting his girlfriend. In Falmouth. In Falmouth, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, yeah, you've done your research. We listen. <laughs> yeah, okay, I didn't, I didn't even think you'd know the town. Oh, but, yeah. um, so we went down there, we met and we got on instantly. And that's something that's really important when I sign an artist to the label. Like they have to fit into like uh, a certain, you know, like they have to have a certain sense of humor to be able to deal with me for a start. And uh, they have to, you know, just be on a certain level. And we got on instantly and then he came in, saw me DJ and saw me playing his tracks. And I think, you know, once he saw his tracks going off in a dance floor, he sort of, it all started to become real for him. And we pretty, pretty much signed him on the spot. And then a few months later, he, he turned out he turned out the game time EP, which is just you know I don't think anybody doesn't know that EP. It just did so well. It's like probably one of the most successful releases we've ever had, and he's just gone from strength to strength. He's like one of the most talented producers I've ever known, and uh, just really really pleased that he's um, part of the family. Fucking Zomboy. And I imagine it's really satisfying to kind of sign a young artist like that, develop him, and then see, kind of watch him fly. It, it's amazing. Like, it honestly is. And, like, I've seen in the past, like, situations where, like, there's been, like, a DJ at the head of a label and there's been people on the label that almost, they're sort of blocked by that person in a way because they can't be bigger than that label head. Like it happens in other genres and stuff like that. Yeah, it, yeah, no, it does happen. But like, like I, I'm so proud of Josh for what he's done. And like, we're doing like my partner Nick and I. We we manage all the artists on the label, and we're doing everything we can to get all of them as big as possible. And it's working. And that is that. Like I was saying earlier, like I get more of a kick out of that than I do out of making my own music. Like A and Ring back and forth with the guys like Eptic. You know, he's another young kid who like we're bringing through, and he's smashing it.
501, Dodge and Fusky, you know, like all these guys that like, it's so nice to be able to sort of like, <laughs> like sending your children out into the world, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a great feeling and, and, and especially when it when it works well, you know, it's, it's awesome. We all learn from each other as well. Everybody, we all sort of absorb a little bit of each other's production style and technique and and you know feedback to each other it's like a family it's awesome two things uh first off i think josh aka zomboy was because it was his first u.s tour when we met him and he was so happy to be here so down to earth you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah. and he was i mean he was a great interview just because he was like i mean considering what he'd accomplished you know what i'm saying no i mean a lot of people can be in the game people can be extreme dicks you know what i'm saying and he was just so happy to be there you know what i'm saying so happy to be there so just i was like i i i, I really i really enjoyed him i really yeah. enjoyed him yeah and like the thing about him as well like he's a genuine person but genuinely like he he loves making music like i'm different like i don't really enjoy making music that much like i do it because it gets it allows me to dj because that's what i enjoy hmm. like and and i think like us many of my peers will agree with that as me as being my strength i've, I've known him for a, f a few years now and that is one of the things i know about him that boggles my mind because he makes like i remember the first time i met him I was like your tunes are insane and he's like yeah i don't really like them and i was <laughs> and I, i'm a little similar like i, I have like a, the same kind of like yeah, nitpicky we have, nit we, have the, kind of vibe. we have like the same kind of vibe like that but just when i found that out about him i was like oh wow that just baffles me completely and then i thought about it and i was like i'm actually exactly like that that's really weird yeah i think so a lot of people are i mean like is it if i didn't have to make tunes i don't know if i would be doing it i love djing and it's i feel that's what i'm i'm best at so like if it allows me to do that then i will put effort into them i know how to do it i know how to make tunes i i, I can I prefer telling people what's wrong with their tunes <laughs> uh, because it's a lot easier for them to go and fix it and then i can be like yeah that's cool rather than doing it to, for myself but Josh, every available minute of the of the day that he's awake, he's on his laptop making tunes, and his demos, his unmixed loops, are better than like my finished mixdowns. You know what I mean? Which is depressing in some ways, but it just goes to show like how much he's really enjoying what he's doing and how much he believes in it and how much he's into it. And I think that that genuineness is that a word? Created <laughs> it is yours. Yeah, the genuine. All right, there's another one that I've coined today. Yeah, that, I think that comes across in his performance when he plays and, and like how much vibe he puts into his music. Sounds like the perfect person to sign and the perfect person to collaborate with, yeah. as you did on Division Series number four, yeah. Kick It. Yeah, that's the most fun I've had in the studio with someone else. Like I started that tune again like a year earlier. I did the whole like intro breakdown thing. All right. They call me soul, 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 soul. And I kind of sketched out the drop as it was, but then having Josh come in and just work his little kind of cheeky magic on it, you know, like it was just, and, and we just, we just have so much fun. Like we just, the whole time we were laughing and I think that's, I, I forgot how fun making music could be with someone else.
can get like studio paranoia. Like if you're working with someone you've never worked with before, there's this thing happens to some people sometimes. It happens to me. Like you just you forget everything you know about making music, and you end up just like tweaking a sound and getting paranoid that the other person's getting bored, and then five minutes later your sounds just turned into like. A and you're just like freaking out and then they're just kind of like feeling really awkward and then you can't really get anything done. But it was the opposite of that. We were just like fighting each other for getting on the buttons and yeah, that was awesome. Well, it comes through. I mean, that's such a fun song even to listen to. Like so much happens. It's, just, it's, it's weird. It's a weird one. <laughs> it's just a funny sample, I guess. It's quirky, which is, I think I just, you know, I think it's important for people to put things in their in their tunes that people can remember. So if you've got a little vocal hook or like a cool breakdown or just like an idea that no one's done before, you can make a mark without actually having to put out that many tunes. You could put out like one tune a year as long as people could go, hey, have you heard that tune that goes? By the power of raw. When I think about your music, like what the song that plays in my head is Power. I love that sample. Where did that sample come from? Uh, it's an animated film called The Prince of Egypt. It's like, I don't think it was Disney. I think it may have been like, uh, yeah. I thought it was from Thundercats. No, no, no. I thought so too. No, no, it's like The Prince of Egypt. I don't think it was Disney. I think it was like, what's the other animator? Uh, no, before that. I think it was Disney though. Is it Disney? Uh, okay. Well, yeah, um, it's it's from it's from that. It's like an Egyptian chant with about with Moses and shit, and it just it sounds great. But like, I mean, to, to be fair, like somebody used that sample before I did, and I, and I like uh, in a drum and bass track, and I wouldn't have, I guess, I wouldn't have like been so excited when I was watching that that stupid film, and then I heard the sample, and I was like, oh, finally, I can sample it without them beating me up. You know what I mean? So, but it's a completely different tune. So yeah. It's just, again, something weird and memorable that makes it work, I guess. By the power of raw. You're listening to Madcap, and our guests are heavyweights of the bass music world. Schism of Never Say Die Records, Sam from the Kilobits, and Paul from Mantis. Let's take a step back and find out about the families and influences of our panel. Can we go around the room and talk about musical influences? My um, musical influences probably come from heavy metal more than anything, and it not like directly making like metal versions of, you know, metal like dubstep as such. I have delved into that, but like... I, I'm influenced by like how music makes me feel and the, the only music that's ever like made me feel anything really has been like like metal and, and like the kind of like quite emotional side of it like the heavy heavy drops but then the kind of big uh, like kill switch engage
old school stuff like Pantera, like Unearth, Black Dahlia Murder, you know, even going, going further back like Tool, things like that. I mean, I love, I, I love other forms of rock as well. Like I love like Muse's early stuff. And the thing I like, the common thread is like euphoria in points and then just like dirty, heavy, raw emotion. And so like I'm influenced by that feeling and how I want my tunes to make me feel when they drop and build up and stuff. So I guess that's my biggest influence. Um, man, you have like a wide variety. I was actually telling Tom last night that uh, like Dillinger of like the old drum bass like in its heyday was really why, one of the reasons I started making electronic music, I suppose. Why just we can't make music? If we can't make music for fucking money, see me making any money? I make music because I love making fucking music, man. What's wrong with He just like was a complete game changer. Him and Bad Company and uh, who's the third one? What was that what was the other one we got? It Ned was Russian oh yeah, and Ed Rush and Optical, of course. I can't even move. I forgot that. Um, <laughs> sorry, Ed Rush. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, but like lately, I guess in terms of what's influencing my music is I'm kind of not actually. I go into like what I call like media blackouts, and I won't listen to anything at all for like days. and then I'll write a song. This is Block Heavy by Timeline, featuring the Kilobits. that the more stuff I'm actually listening to, the more my music starts to take on other stuff, kind of, just like, just naturally. You know, you're in there and you're writing and you've been listening to music all day and like, that's what's gonna come out. So I'll actually just like, completely, just have like a, like a totally like musicless day and then go in and write songs. Will you read something? Would that help? Would that help? Um, no, honestly, I, I just literally just don't even do anything. I do like other work. I like do all the email work and stuff like that that has to go down. And then really just like completely like nothing. Try not to be influenced by anything and just do whatever actually comes out at that point. No eating, no drinking. Yeah. Breathing. <laughs> what was your longest media blackout? I'll listen to music at night and stuff, but I mean just when when I'm like getting into writing, I just actually will stop listening to music for like periods of hours at a time, you know? Okay. Not to say that I'm going like entire days and days and days. <laughs> that would be kind of weird. It's like Ramadan. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I fast and then at night, you know. Are you Amish? <laughs> yeah, I am, yeah, exactly. It's, it's the Amish, yo, look into it. It's the Amish way of writing music. It's great. <laughs> but that's still not enough. I'm the one in a million. It's actually working really well, though, because I'm not, I'm coming out with, coming up with stuff that I probably never would have come up with any other way by, like, other than to just, you know, stop listening to anything else and just try whatever comes to mind, you know? One in a Million by Down With Webster, the Kilobits remix. Lo, 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 
Similar to what Tommy was saying, um, most of our influence comes derived from like metal. Taylor, Taylor is another member of to our group, but he's not here right now. But um, we both were in metal bands before this, and uh, I was actually in a touring metal band called Attila. And when I started listening, I just like heard bass nectar or something, and like I played bass in the band, and it was all like really you know like heavy halftime rhythm driven band. So when I heard that, I'm like, this is just like all bre all breakdowns with just bass. Of course I like this. But um, so yeah, so from there we just everything just kind of started coming together. We were like really influenced by um, like movies soundtracks. We want all of our stuff to just. We don't want it to like just sound like a song. We want they want we want to transport the listeners somewhere else and like bring them along for like the whole ride and not just like oh I'm gonna skip it after you know a minute and a half because it's just gonna loop. We like to make complete works of music. This is Block Rocka by Mantis. talking about um social network okay. lord of the rings um anything just epic and awesome radiohead was all over social network weren't they no that was uh trent reznor oh actually yeah he did the soundtrack for wow. his uh, social network The Winklevi aren't suing me for intellectual property theft. They are suing me because for the first time in their lives, things didn't work out the way they were supposed to for them. movies like like it's hard for me to like watch them because I'm always just listening to the soundtrack I have to watch movies a few times so I can just 
get the movie. But normally I'm just always picking out like weird crescendo things. I notice how they do with the film editing and stuff, and I just think it's really cool. I want to know from everybody in the room, were your families musical? Do they inspire you to, to this career? Absolutely not. Like, not at all. Like, my parents aren't musical. Uh, they tried to get me to learn instruments when I was, like, a kid, and I guess I picked up every instrument for about, like, you know, up to grade one and then just got bored and then tried another one. And so I, I was always, like, a jack-of-all-trades when it came to that. But, like, my sister played the piano and stuff, but they never... I'm not, we're not really a musical family. It just happened. I don't even really feel like I'm musical now. I just, like, make noises and DJ, you know. Like. Well, let me disabuse you of that notion. You're definitely musical. Um, My mother wasn't, like, necessarily musical, but she wasn't not musical. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I don't know. She didn't, like, play any instruments, but she played music all the time when I was growing up. Um, but it was actually, like... My family is quite musical. My uncles and, you know, extended family all play instruments. My uncle can actually play literally every instrument. In his house, there's, like, every instrument. He can play the lute. That's not a joke. Right, yeah. in there, too? Yeah, he can play, like, everything. But um, his, his, uh, his son, so, like, my cousin, was actually the one who got me into making music. He used to be uh, a producer. He did, like, really experimental, like, um, oh, what are they called again? I'm trying to remember the name of these guys. Songs? Oh, right. No, no, no I'm, I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. He did, he, he did really, like, strange experimental stuff, like Autecra. moved into doing um, drum and bass and he was a drum and bass DJ in New York in the 90s uh, and leading up to about 2000 and that's kind of where I got into all that stuff. He had me like listening to you know music that I didn't even understand when I was you know really really young so that's kind of where it all came from. I was kind of I always say he kind of bred me to do this and it's really funny that uh, that I actually do now and like that's what I do because there's pictures of him like you know, playing me music when I'm like really, really young that I wouldn't even remember. So he was totally grooming me. What's his name? Uh, his name is Dimitri, but I don't remember right. He had so many names. He was like Flex Neptune. He had a bunch of really ran. He had honestly like 20 different names. He kind of was like one of those like project producers. So he wouldn't like stick to one name. He would do this project is this and this project is that. He had Vis a Vis was another one. Um, I can't remember all of them. He's told me once. I asked him for a list of all of them. That's all right. Big shout out to Dimitri. Yeah, in any case, sure. yeah, big shout. Yeah. Yo, how are your kids doing? <laughs> My family's really not musical whatsoever. Um, the only person that's like in my extended family or in my family, and I'm not necessarily even related by blood to him, is uh, my uncle. He played guitar. So when I was little, I would always just like go into his guitar room and see all the guitars on the wall and just be like, you know, didn't even know what to really think, you know. But um, he was always, always watching him play and stuff. And uh, eventually my parents got me a guitar and like I just kind of started playing around on it. But um, in terms of being musical, no one's explicitly musical. However, I will say that my parents, you know, my family's been just so supportive of me, just, you know, trying to make it in music. So like, I'm really thankful that, you know, they're always supportive. This is the Mantis song, Caligula. Thanks, mom and dad.
You're listening to Madcap, and our guests are Schism, Paul from Mantis, and Sam from the Canadian duo The Kilobits. The first time we heard of Sam's crew was from their collaborative parties, thrown with their countryman Zed's Dead. Here's a clip from our episode with Dylan and Zach that sheds some light on their shared history. What's incredible was that just a few years ago, Dylan and Zach would show up to a party and people would walk out. Their sound was just too radical, so they did what any smart entrepreneurs would do. They started a new party. And together with fellow DJs, the Kilobits, they formed Bass Mentality, which still endures as one of the most successful dance parties in North America. And it was like on a Wednesday in this really dingy bar in the basement, and we would just like rent a sub and uh, just put on it. Yeah, it was a free show. We just wanted people to come there. We just wanted an audience. And after a few weeks, it got really popular. And then it just became like, it, it outgrew that place. We had, we had to move it to a bigger venue. We started booking international acts to it. And, uh... We were doing a collab with Zed's Dead. And it was really, it was just crazy. I mean, that's kind of how we decided. Like, we should just name it Bass Mentality because it just represents, like, our party. And it became the anthem... Um, of our party and everyone who comes through like plays it. It's kind of it's kind of a weird like cool thing like that, and uh, it's just strange who you'll see actually play it there. Because um, I'm like, wow, it's really funny. It's like such a cliche thing to do. It's like I'm at Bass Mentality playing Bass Mentality, but um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's no, it's it's really 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 dope. Um, and I guess we got really lucky because it was recently in uh, it was like the lead song in the new Forza game in all of their commercials. Um, so yeah, it was really, really awesome. I didn't have cable at the time, so I didn't get to see it at all. You have it now. Yeah, and then I, well, no, I finally, I finally got the cable and I was like watching TV for a day and it was, it was I was like, I, I actually finally got to see it because I got to someone's house who had cable and it was honestly on like every five minutes on like all kinds of different channels. So it was really big. It's really, really good for us. I actually kind of, uh, funnily enough, it says kill a kill a Zed's dead and I kind of regretted not actually making it say kill a bits because it just kind of sounds like if you think about it, it's kind of like, oh, it just could be like a tagline for them. It doesn't really say our name because it's like I couldn't find a sample that said that, you know. So it's kind of it was kind of a strange thing like that. It's really funny because I'm sitting there and I'm watching. I'm like, this is like a huge moment. I'm, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, yeah. Like, I'm, saying, I'm, like, I'm like, this is huge. Like I'm watching a basketball game and it's like it's on like a primetime basketball game over and over again every commercial break and I'm like, this is absolutely huge. Rated T for Teen. Timothy. It's me. Your car. Well, I was your car. Now I belong to me. And I'm in a much better place. I know it's confusing. But I'm supercharged now. And I can do things. Things you would call crazy. That's why I had to leave. I had to find a place where I was free. Free to fill up on endless gallons of high-octane freedom. And then it hit me and I was like, and it actually doesn't say my name. This is really weird. I probably wish that I had done that in retrospect. But I mean, I guess it kind of like, I mean, the drop is what it is and I love the song the way it is and it works perfectly. So people who know, know. People who don't, need to. It's a great song. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I love it. I still play it. I'll, I'll probably play it tonight, you know? Nice. Still, yeah. It's, I mean, you know how it was. Pretty old. Probably been playing for like two years. Then you think we can do it? Do it? Of course we can do it. Nothing a man can't do if he believes in himself. Never say die, that's my motto. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having us. Have a great show tonight. Thank you. All right. It's going to be awesome. Word. This is the title track from Never Say Die's latest release, the EP Step 2 by Lax. Special thanks to Schism, Sam from the Kilobits, and Paul from Mantis. Also want to thank Lee and Nick from Never Say Die and everyone at Steve's promo for their continuous support. Thanks to the Sheraton in downtown Baltimore for hosting the interview and to Baltimore Soundstage. For more information on Schism and Never Say Die, visit the website wewillneversaydie.com. Schism tweets at S-K-I-S-M underscore U-K. The Kilobits tweet at the Kilobits, that's T-H-E, K-I-L-L-A-B-I-T-S and Mantis tweets at MantisATL. We'll have links to their music and more information at madcapdc.org. Madcap is produced by Dan Bloom, David Ross, and Afim Shapiro. Our intern is Marquise Goodwin. MadcapDC.org on Facebook and Twitter at MadcapDC.